Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to introduce you to our new sponsor, who is called Mercury Neuro. So if you haven't heard of them before, they're doing amazing things in the coffee machine game. They're out of Melbourne. They're incredible engineers and designers and fantastic quality coffee equipment. So Mercury Neuro is actually a coffee machine, optimizes performance, maximizes results for your coffee extraction, milk texturing, and also an accurate hot water delivery. It's exceptional, I've seen it in person. Jordan, who's the CEO, is an incredible guy and his team of engineers and designers are doing fantastic work. So check them out at mercuryneuro.com.au. Now, with the show. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for another episode. Just before we get into this one, this is yet again another co-hosting podcast with one of my good friends, Will Slickers from the US. You may remember a couple of episodes back, I got to talk with Adam Knight uh, in the US as well. And that was such a good episode. We got such good feedback that this episode with Will Slickers, who is the host of the Slicked Talk podcast, if I can get that out right. Uh, he knows everything about accommodation. He's got a fantastic brand called Stay Lux, which is all about luxury vacation rentals. So I think you're going to really enjoy this podcast as we talk about our industries and what we need to do next to be open and be profitable. So I hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome back to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. I am your host, Will Slickers, and this is also another host of another podcast. Hello. We're doing, doing <laughs> two podcasts. Uh, uh, this is Sean. He's based out in Australia, and he and I met through uh, some mutual connections. Um, I would say, you know, Josh Copel, Adam Knight, mm-hmm. Tipsy Crew out in Australia. So it's really cool to see the hospitality network from all over the world really connect and uh sean thanks for being on my show and i'm excited to do this dual episode with you yeah man thanks for thanks for being on mine this is this is really cool um as you said like our our co-friends there um um you know adam and i did a co-show with the other week and it went really well so that i was really really comfortable to do this and then um in doing some prep for this podcast with you today, I listened to Josh's um, with you the other uh, the other little bit, and God, it was good. And he's been on my show twice, and I thought, you know what? If 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 I can be anywhere near as good as Josh, like that's that's my that's my ceiling today. That's what I'm looking for. So happy for to be on sure. Board. No, for sure. And that's the cool thing too, is that Josh has been both on, on both of our shows twice, and it's like, man, this guy's just a killer. Like he. <laughs> he knows what's up, like when it comes to the podcast world, and it's so funny. Just the back end story of all that. So I'm excited, Absolutely. man. It's gonna, this is gonna be good. Um, so I guess <laughs> just to start into it, like let's dive into a little bit about you, and then um, we'll just kind of go from there. Like, what's your background? Yeah. Um. So been in the hospitality industry for coming on 23 years. Um, I'm uh, a baker by trade. So started out as a baker's apprentice when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, worked with a big, big bakery retail group called Baxter Light for um, eleven years. 
um, both as a baker, bakery manager, um, franchise partner, uh, owned two stores in my early 20s, um, which was um, woke me up really, really quick at the age of 21 buying a, buying a business. Um, had, a, had a, unfortunately a really bad car accident at high speed with a, with a friend of mine at the age of 26 and lost it all and had to restart again. Um, decided to go into, into cafes, um, um, didn't like it. Then I got, um, uh, I got a restaurant manager position with a QSR called Grilled, which is a pretty big brand here in Australia. So they've got about 120 odd locations around Australia. Okay. Funnily enough, one in Bali um, at the moment. But when I joined them, sort of 2000, 2008, they only had about 10, 12 stores. So it was, it was mm. great to be part of their growth and open up a lot of stores with them in, in a couple of different states. If um, the people listening to your podcast, I've gone from living in Adelaide, South Australia, then I lived in Brisbane with Grilled and then Perth. So I've gone all around the country. Um, so I've been like living in LA, then living in New York and then living in, you know, New Orleans or something. Yeah. Um, and then, then I came to Melbourne about five years ago. Knew it was the sort of um, definitely the food capital of Australia. Um, although Sydney people tend to feel like Sydney is. <laughs> and um, worked for a couple of different QSRs. Ran a bakery, sourdough bakery brand when sourdough bread was really starting to kick goals here in Australia about five years ago. And that was great. Got to work with some really high level chefs supplying them bread sort of six days a week. Um, then, then what did I do? Then I started a consultancy business. I had a friend of a friend who was opening up a burger restaurant and I decided to help out and, um, and then decided to, um, to do that and help people open their businesses. Um, launched a fried chicken bread from Singapore in Australia and launched their three sites and did their end to end. So that was awesome. Uh, then I worked for a dessert brand here in Australia, uh, called Sanchuro which is obviously all about churros and about hot chocolate and things like that, all things Spanish. Um, yeah. And then most recently before, um, before COVID, I was working for a salad brand called Laneway Greens. And Laneway Greens is a very close replication in some ways to Sweet Green um, and Dig and stuff like that in America, uh, probably close to Sweet Green. But um, then the pandemic hit and we lost the three sites that we had. And mm-hmm. um, after standing... Standing all our team down, I decided to stand myself down as well, and there we go. So yeah, during during COVID, I've sort of just done a heap of podcasts and talked to a heap of people and, and seeing what the industry really needs now, which is um, uh, a lot different. So it's good, yeah. man. Yeah, no, I I uh, I like the the aspect or the I guess new perspective on the show because we always talk about hotels and. We talked about restaurants, obviously, like with people like Josh and Michael Chernow yeah. and a few others, but um, getting into like the cafe scene and the bakery scene and the other, I think like the other side of the desk, as I'd like to call it, you know, like I'm so used to the front yeah. desk and being on that like back, back end and being on the other side. Um, so it's kind of cool to bring this perspective to the, to the show and I'm uh, excited to, to hear about the food side of hospitality a little bit more, even though I was a restaurant manager yeah. and I... You know, I got to experience mm-hmm. it a little bit, but not to the side of or the scale of um, kind of like what you've been, which is an extensive, yeah. good resume. So yeah. <laughs> you definitely so got what, the knowledge. So what about you, Will? Because you come from a different, a different sector in the industry and I learned mm-hmm. so much from like talking with, 
you know, our friend Adam Knight the other mm-hmm. week about, you know, hotels and that kind of side and accommodation. Like, what about yourself? How did you start out? Like, how did you get to where you're at now? Yeah. Um, for the podcasters on my end that don't know my story or whatever, this is um, always fun to refresh. But um, yeah, started out in um, a failed chauffeur and event company that I started uh, before Uber became mm-hmm. really popular in a city that I just moved to. I moved there to be with just like kind of start over. I was young, you know, I just got out of basic training in AIT for the, for the army. Um, so I was, mm. uh, yeah, I was just like, you know, I'm going to go live with my best friend and go like start this like little adventure. And I did. And then Uber came really popular. So it was really hard to compete for, you know, something that was so instant and half, like not even half the price, like a fraction of the price of what you normally would get for like a chauffeur. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I opened it up uh, and had it for a year to the exact day uh, that I opened it a year later and I closed it. Okay. So were then you doing, that, were you doing the driving? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was driving oh, and I was, sick. yeah, yeah. I was doing wedding planning and uh, I did wow. a couple like concert events, uh, Garth Brooks and Post Malone and a few other people like that. Yeah. Wow. It was, yeah, it was, it was cool. Like it had its perks, but it just, you know, there's so much overhead at like, and I went into like big debt with it, just huge. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know the paperwork. I barely knew how to even get the vehicle like fully licensed and permitted. I had like the state come up to me like five times and be like, hey, you need to go re- redo this inspection and all this other stuff. It was like, oh, there's a wow. lot of hoops to jump through and I didn't know it. Yeah. About, it you know, you live and learn, right? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, when I closed that, I started working at a hotel, uh, five-star Marriott autograph collection, which was, uh, independently owned and operated, but they got to carry the Marriott flag and the rewards program and all that type of stuff. Um, and I just fell in love, man. Like walked in with a suit and tie for my chauffeur days that were like a day before and I uh, walked up to the manager and was like, Hey, I, uh, I picked up some uh, guests that, you know, stayed here before when I was doing some chauffeuring stuff. And I really liked the look and the atmosphere of the, of the place. And I want to see if you're hiring and he uh, interviewed me and I re- remember him going, so you have no experience in hotels. And I was like, Nope, not one. He's like, how are you with people? And I was like, I love people. And he's like, how are you with like computer stuff? I'm like, I could be taught that. And he's like, okay, that's a good answer because I can't that's teach you people skills. Answer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he and I are actually still like pretty much best friends to this day. Um, so yeah, I got my start in hotels and hospitality and I loved it. Moved to the Oregon coast to get more experience on the independent boutique side of things. And, uh, started the podcast out of an entrepreneurial itch and uh yeah from there after managing a couple other properties and working my way through the ranks um met my business partners for where i am at today with a luxury vacation rental management company here in the pacific northwest and then uh quit my full-time job uh december 27th of 2019 and uh yeah been podcasting and uh regretting it ever since i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it was a it was a bad time to quit for sure uh because of covid obviously but no one can yeah, predict yeah. that but you know mm-hmm. we're still here still operating it's, yeah it's like a good and a bad thing that um some people will just know me for my podcasting now it's like i mm-hmm. do other things too like it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, kind of, it's kind of a funny situation can i exactly. can i ask you a question can i ask yeah. you a question about your first what was your first week like in hotels Dude, it was crazy. I remember, so this hotel was 716 rooms with 60,000 square foot of event space. Um, 
room service, a fine dining restaurant, a, a tapas style restaurant with a bar and then a terrace bar upstairs. Um, yeah, it was just, it was massive property. And my first week was the craziest thing. I think it was my first day was nice. It was like, you get to go tour the place. You get to go look at rooms. You get to go meet people and kind of just like walk around and kind of get familiarized. But then like the second day, I remember the flood of check-ins. We, I think we had like 300 check-ins, which was nothing when, when you get, became like a pro. 300 was like an easy day, but like yes. for my first or second day, I was like 300 check-ins. Like, holy crap. And there's a lot going on. So it was crazy, man. It was a crazy week. Like, yes. barely, I think I was on my third day, I started checking people in by myself. Yeah. My manager just threw me oh, in. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was like, I'll, uh, the second day, he was like, you do the computer stuff and I'll do the talking. And then the third day, he was like, all right, have fun. Do the talking and the computer stuff. And it was like, okay. And just threw me in to the wolves. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. Did that... Was that scary or do you think like, you know, like the throwing the deep end thing, like is such a, you know, such a normal thing when you train people in hospitality. I'm sure people have been in the industry sort of more than 15 plus years yeah. have been trained like that or train people like that. Like did that scare, scare you or were you like excited by that? Uh, that that's something. Yeah. I like that question because I think it, it the industry we see it. I think a lot of people, anybody who's listening, they probably had the same thing, right? They got thrown in. I know uh, I did that when I was a restaurant manager. I was like, Oh, you're a new waitress or server or whatever. There you go. I'm like, just go have fun. Um, but no, I was, dude, I was terrified. Um, just because, you know, I'm the guy that like, I want to make sure the team is good. Like I don't want my team picking up any of my slack that I'm like, I hate messing up so much. Um, and being the new guy, obviously you're going to mess up. And so I just, I was always just, I think I was more, I think I was on edge a little bit more than I normally would have just because I knew my team was like really well, good at what they were doing. And they've been, you know, either at the property when it first opened or whatever. And I really wanted to make sure I did good for them. And then, um, and then once I saw them kind of like, they took me under their wing and were like, Hey, this is what we do. This is like, watch me how I say this or how I do that. And, um, that was just a lifesaver. So like the team really actually trained me and became like the go-to resource. And that was like probably the best part about it. And then I got excited because then I would think like, you know, when you, um, uh, when you see somebody like do something enough times, you start mimicking them a little bit. So I would pick up little things from every single one of them. And then it finally like created my own little, I guess, personality or my own style and flow of how I did things. And it, it got really comfortable. And then from there, um, I was able to clean it up and tighten it up and make mm. sure that I was like doing it the way I should have been trained in the beginning instead of just putting pieces and pieces together. If that makes sense, it's kind of a, it was the team aspect that really helped make it a lot better. Yeah. It's super interesting, right? Like I've been, I've been thinking in the last couple of months as I've been looking at what I call like the unsexy things of hospitality that yeah. are really, really critically important, like the back of house stuff. Mm-hmm. Like how are we going to train people? Like one of these, like how the hell are we going to train people further on? Because it needs to be a lot more efficient and because um, uh, we need to save money, but like yeah. how are we going to, how are we going to do that and still have a meaningful connection? You know what I mean? Like it's, 
the yeah. thing about. The last hotel that I was at, um, I was a front office and AGM. So um, we were 70 units, uh, condominium. So all suites is like pretty much a, an, a con- like a condo apartment type hotel. Um, mm-hmm. So the rooms were a lot bigger than your standard room. Uh, we didn't have a restaurant on site, but we did like complimentary happy hour at, in the evening and uh, continental breakfast. And um, one of my things, like when I first started that, I was realizing like, I got thrown into that position too, like the front office stuff with that hotel, like right away, even though I had experience, like I didn't get trained. Um, so what I started doing with the other managers was uh, the housekeeping manager and the maintenance manager. And I sat down and said, okay, I'm hiring this person. I'm hiring this person. or I'm hiring this person. I want to create a training schedule, like a legit, they are not doing the actual job without somebody being there but they're also in every department so i want them to go make a couple beds and clean a couple of rooms i want them to go learn how to fix the fireplace or um you know do these like maintenance tasks that you know front anybody can do right like learning how to just do something very simple learn like the ins and outs of the room and then i also want them to like learn front desk and like learn how to talk to a guest or like how to you know, say my pleasure when somebody's saying, Hey, you're doing a great job instead of, Oh yeah, anytime, you know, like kind of just like add that extra little step, the little, the little extra things. And so cross promoting like the, the top department staff was a huge success for that property specifically. I don't know why um, we never thought of it sooner, but for me, I really like that model. Like, all right, I want you to go clean a couple of rooms for like two days. Just go clean rooms and hop on the housekeeping team or, you know, maybe help out in breakfast or there's so many things. I think it adds the the perspective of, I don't know if you like ever see this in like the restaurant side, but like, well, I'm just a server or I'm just a bus boy or I'm just this. Um, And then, so like that gives them the out of helping out the team Yeah. or, you know, they don't understand like what one other person's going through while everyone else is just, you know, doing, doing whatever. So I think it's kind of a, it gives that good. Yeah understanding yeah it's it's kind of an interesting thing like i found like the bigger venues that i've worked in there's there can be very much that like divide between back of house and front of house and then Mm -hmm. in between the back of house and front of house then the divides between the roles and um yeah the the best teams i've worked with and the best brands i've worked with like it's if I can put each staff member in, in different positions and make sure they understand what that position is like, mm-hmm. then they're going to respect everyone else in the team a lot more, the actual brand a lot more, the job they do themselves, you know, notably more than, more than any other day. Um, yeah, it's just a really important part of training. It's a really important part of team culture and respect. Like, there's so yeah. many things that come from that. It's such a simple move, but there's so many things that come from that. For sure. And I, I like to use the uh, analogy of a stained glass window. I think if um, for visual people, like if you're a visual person, just imagine a stained glass window, right? And you, if you are that one piece of glass in the middle, you look at it, but close, you're like, oh, it's just a, it's just one little piece of glass, whatever it's, it's there. But you step back and the further and further back you get, you start to see how it forms a picture, right? So imagine every little piece of glass is a different role or a different, type of duty that role plays in the big picture of things. I think a lot of people, when they get to experience each piece of glass, so to say, um, they kind of step back further and further and see the bigger picture. And that really 
could like that can make and break I think companies in the sense of guest experience and of course turnover rates on staff and, and everything like that. That's always a, a good visual for me, especially with new managers. I think they kind of like get so stuck into well, I'm the manager now, so I gotta go do this and I gotta go da, 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 da. It's like yeah. no, step back and look at all the pieces, my friend. Understand yeah. everyone's role is different, has different effects on that bigger picture. Mm-hmm. We'll save you a headache yeah. and a lot of sleepless nights. <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest thing you learn is like a manager when you're managing different departments is the fact that what you've really become is a is a manager just a pure manager of people and making sure that you're managing you're managing culture you're not you're not managing systems as much you're overlooking mm-hmm. over systems but you're just you're managing the culture of those systems actually being executed so that's yeah, it's a really important learning one you don't realize until until you're right until you're in it you know? yeah exactly mm-hmm. Well, uh, I kind of want to get into a little bit um, for the for the audience sake on leading moments for you. I think like that kind of going into, um, you know, open pantry and what you do, but then also, um, you know, I want to kind of understand because, you know, you and I are also in completely different markets and different yeah. sides of the spectrum of hospitality. So it's kind of mm-hmm. cool. But like, what was the previous state, you know, pre-COVID of the industry on your end, like, from what you saw before everything happened and like while you were doing this, you know, adventure with open pantry and all that good stuff. And I'm kind of just, I want your perspective. So I think it's been interesting, right? Because I've been lucky enough to like do the, do the podcast for like the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure that when I did it, that it was, I was talking to, it was, it was Melbourne centric in the fact that we really talked about, food and culture and all that kind of thing really deep that are important to our industry. But I wanted to make sure that I was talking to different people around the world because mm-hmm. in that we can, if we can learn from other people's markets, then we can really learn what we can do, what we can do with ourselves, Right. Mm-hmm. And I think what I learned, especially after COVID a lot more was the fact that, and before COVID was the fact that the industries, whether it be the UK, the U S Canada throughout Asia was, was had a lot of similarities in the fact that the hospitality industry was largely overdeveloped. There was too many, you know, too many, too many sites, too many, too many brands, um, poor lease deals. Um, people were paying too much per square foot per square meter. Yeah. Um, um, there were a lot of what I call vanilla brands, um, which means they didn't really stand for anything. Um, there was a lot of private equity, um, in in hospitality which meant it really became about um the dollars a lot more and um the amount of sites that you could roll out so it became much more about ego um uh, and not really thinking about how we plan out the business so i think it was just a ticking time bomb waiting to happen and covid was that thing that happened Mm. because we just had you know a perfect storm of you know too many brands, um, not enough people to support those brands, um, not able to get the talent that we need to execute consistently and, um, and you know, pr- unprofitable businesses all over the place. And, you know, that's where, you know, that's where we're going to see a closure rate in Australia, probably, probably somewhere of arguably of 30 to 40%. Um, I think when we sort of have most of the government assistance finish 
in March next year. So luckily mm-hmm. we've got government assistance till March next year in some way, shape or form for most staff. Mm. Um, and, you know, I know that, you know, Josh has talked about, you know, 60 to 70% closure rate in America, which is yeah. scary because, you know, as I've said to, you know, so many of my friends in the US and UK, like, especially with independent independent cafes and restaurants and, and, and that kind of thing, like, these are this is community. Mm-hmm. We're we're losing community from places. Um, people have some people have better connection with their barista or with their publican than they do with some people in their family. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> that's both funny and scary, right? So if yeah. you if you if you lose that daily connection, that ten minutes that's really important to you when you go and get your coffee before you go into that meeting of that job that you don't really like that much. Like, but that makes your day better. If that's not there anymore, like that's a bit like, that's a big problem that we need to think about, mm-hmm. you know, what replaces that? So, so I think, yeah, I mean, with, with regards with what I do with open pantry, like it's, it's around operational consulting, right? So it's around, you know, everything that moves and shakes a brand every day. Like that's what I can consult on. I can, I can, I can make sure that a brand can open with the proper supply chain or the proper systems and processes or recruit the right people. And, you know, as I cheekily said before, like I'm looking at all the unsexy things at the moment in hospitality and and making sure that we can um, do them properly on the other side of this because they're important to make sure we can execute Mm -hmm. cafes, restaurants, bars um, a lot better. So things like food safety, things like, um, training things like HR and recruitment and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, man, it was it was it was to answer your question really simply, it was going to happen. It was just a matter of what was going to tip it, and COVID tipped it. So I, yeah, um, I was going to say uh, the I think like a few things that kind of came to mind when you said all that, like the community thing, um, really struck a chord. And I'll go a little in on that, but, um, the, also like the, like you're talking about, you know, you know, cleaning procedures and like, you know, all these other things like better trainings and like these, like what next steps, right. The Mm -hmm. moving forward, but man, like to me, I just like, it comes back. The more I've been thinking about this, like since, you know, January, February, March, um, it just comes back to being more intentional as like an industry. And mm-hmm. you and I also kind of talked about this about, you know, what last week when we did our, our little chat and, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I don't know. I just keep seeing like in the American market, just, you know, we have so many soft brands under, you know, IHG or Best Western or Marriott or Hilton. Like there's mm. so many soft brands you can't even tell. And like you were saying, um, you know, it's oversaturated market. Um, I'm, like with all those, like, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of Marriott. I'm a big fan of like the bigger hotel property, like, you know, spirit. But at the end of the day, like, I just feel like we've gotten so unintentional with things. We just kind of, this is now cookie cutter. This is now the, you know, we're just set. We, we settled for little, if that makes sense. Um, but we tell, yeah, we tell we our staff for to just do, enough. Yeah, exactly. Just enough. And we tell our staff to go above and beyond, but as like an industry itself, we just kind of set the tone very low. And um, mm, mm. yeah. And I'm, I'm, 
Yeah, no, I, that's just from like that's what I've been thinking about. Like, this is like yeah. what I th- this is what keeps me up at night. Um, and I'm just like, we became so unintentional, and we also kind of talked about this in our pre chat. Like, I'm fearful, like even with restaurants too, because or cafes or anything, because with the mask involvement and gloves and face shields and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong, we have to protect each other if it, if that's what that means and that's what that means but not being able to see a smile not being able to understand the body language better um, not being able to do basic human to human interactions that show we are being intentional as a a team or a staff or a property that Mm -hmm. is what like really like again keeps me up at night like just because I think of all these things that but and again this is like not to be negative for any of the listeners, I, this is just stuff that, yeah, it's being real. Like it's, I, like you said, I've had those moments with like my barista guy or girl like that you form a connection with and not being able to see them as like, damn, I hope they're okay. Cause then, you know, like, you know, their kids, you know, their house or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like stuff about their life and you, that like runs through my head. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe you and I are the weirdos in the world that like, think, <laughs> like that, that think about like the, you know, be are, we are like, we are. like relationship based. Like I love knowing about people and like what they do. And so like that does go through my mind, like a bartender or like even one of my own old friends who's a, was a director of marketing for a hotel is now, you know, like I think about her dogs. I'm like, Oh, she's got all these dogs. Like, and I'm like, I hope they're okay. Like with all this, like, I, I don't know if she's working. Like, you know, I'm just, yeah. there's all these things yeah. that go through our head. So, I don't know, man. Like that's what kind of has gone through my my thoughts of this like whole COVID world and and go ahead. Yeah. What do you what do you what do you think is going to happen in like in regards with accommodation in the short term in the in the space that you play? Because you know you said such amazing things there around body language and masks and all that kind of stuff. The stuff that I'm worried about for hospitality mm-hmm. because I think. You know, once we get a once we get a vaccine, and once we can distribute that vaccine, and once everyone is quote unquote better and not as worried, and don't have to wear masks and all this kind of stuff, then we're gonna then we're gonna go to a point where we're like, oh my god, I can't believe it. it's it's so fantastic, like it's amazing, and we're gonna we're gonna think about those moments a lot in a lot better way, and we're gonna be much more thankful for those moments. And then we'll go through another cycle where we probably won't care about it as much, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But like in this real part now, like what, how do you think accommodation venues can continue to make those moments? Like it's so much influence on people interactions. Yeah. Well, cause like it goes into like another side of the scale too. And this is like, I know where you geek out and it's like the operation costs and like the streamlining, like, mm. Now that we've gone to this level, I think COVID has really sped up like this like shift in the industry of like catching mm. up with like tech and modernizing like how we do yep. things and you know all this other stuff. Um, even with yeah restaurants and hotels, um, you know now that we're finally catching up, I'm worried that you know maybe we're not streamlining too much, but that we are. Um, it's becoming more transactional. And so for me with like, how can, what can we do like to keep that human like intention of body language and eye contact and um, 
that's a, a, a part that I just think, you know, we're gonna have to get creative. That's just like, we have no choice. Like at the moment we lose that part of our, like we take away all the staff and we go to robots or whatever, like, you know, like if the big extremes, but like, this is the steps towards those is that if you take away front desk and you only have housekeeping and maintenance staff that normally will be behind the scenes and doesn't really help check in guests or take their luggage or, you know, drop a plate on their table. We're just a transaction industry now. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, in, in that like weird, I even know. It's, it's a weird headspace, to... right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you think there's an opportunity? Like, because yeah. we've, just, we've both just talked about how both our industries, in some respects, were doing just enough. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much competition. So many coffee brands were doing just enough. Maybe some hotel chains were doing just enough. But if you, if you then had this paradigm in hotels and accommodation that, if you pay, if you want someone to greet you and talk to you face to face at a hotel and check you in and be a personal concierge and know the places because you don't like tech, you you want someone to tell you that, and you want the turn down service and all the amenities and all that stuff, you'll pay for that. Mm-hmm. Then there'll be this middle ground which will be like automatic check in, don't talk to anyone, you see some maintenance stuff going around the place, but otherwise it feels like you're in a big freaking house. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you just have lower grade, lower grade, which is just cheaper and, you know, probably, yeah. you know, is always going to be there. Right. For um, transactional stuff. So do you think that's where it's going to land or. Well, I like the, I like the question of opportunity just because, um, you know, Josh Copel said this like many times um, was that all these restaurants turn to curbside and delivery pickup, right? Um, he And he said with uh, Prue and Proper, he mm-hmm. was not. He, he wanted to wait it out until somebody came up with something that was working and didn't accept. He like, he wasn't accepting the low, like the low pay, you know, the low pay, the, the high hours, the yeah. quality of everything. So I think what this is opening up um, is the opportunity for, the industry to become flex. And when I say flex, like flexible as in being so intentional with how they communicate their brand, like where, Hey, we are this brand. We are going to be, um, you know, we will be there to open the door for you to grab your bag, to greet you with a smile, that type of brand Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where the guests can choose that as their Mm -hmm. choice, or they're going to be so intentional. Like this is, for you, like vacation rentals is a great example of this. Yeah, like vacation yeah. rentals don't have that, you know, front desk type of meet and greet experience. It's very much automated processes and systems and via phones and emails and other things like that, right? You get a door yeah. code, you check in at 3 p.m. or whatever the time is, and mm-hmm. that's it. You have the whole place to yourself. You never see anybody. Mm-hmm. Now we got to apply that to, you know, marketing and communication and being intentional on knowing your market like this is if you are a person who likes to be greeted and likes to talk to the front desk staff or the bar or you know your server this is not the place for you like we don't have that we don't offer it um this is for Mm. people that are very much like this is where again kind of my opinion just on the intention being intentional on how we do that and then you shape your business back end structure streamlines all that other stuff accordingly 
to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't become like this big luxury concierge brand, but have everything automated and copied and pasted in, into a, a software or whatever. Like you, this is where the human interaction comes versus if you're an automated company, you don't start randomly placing people at properties and have them like pop out of the bushes and be like, Hey, Mr. Smith, like, we're glad you're here. <laughs> <Not> like <laughs> super yes. extreme. It would be cool though. <laughs> yeah. It would be great. But yes. it's just, yeah, I think it comes back to intention. Like that'll be my word of the whole episode. Just intention. I think that's such a good point, Will. Like, like, Sometimes I think we need to look backward to look forward. And I like to reverse mm. engineer a lot of things in order to make sense of what strategy was I'm going to do next. Whether it be if I'm working with brands, I'm working with, you know, my own brand or different projects and stuff. Like how do you think it got to a point where a lot of hotels and accommodation services were doing much the same stuff with a different logo, you know, or a different scalability. Scalability. If they weren't able to scale so fast, I don't think it would have happened so fast. Like, I don't think we would have so many soft brands, right? Yeah. Yeah. But when I, and I'm not an expert on the back end of like bank loans and other stuff like that and where people get their money. Like that's like not my expertise, but I think the, you know, with companies you take Marriott, um, very innovative like they were the leaders, you know, back in the day. And they still are obviously like in a lot of aspects, but like you think about when Marriott and Hilton were going back and forth constantly, you know, in like the Mm -hmm. eighties and Mm nineties. And, you know, they would do one thing and then all of a sudden it'd be all over the news. And then Hilton would try to do another thing and it'd be all over the news. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like that one up step and that like was needed. I think it was great. You know, I think that really drove the hospitality industry and got a lot of people Mm -hmm. invested into the space because it is a pretty like as big as it is as a small industry. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I've been doing the podcast almost three years and you've been doing your podcast about the same. And here we are in America and Australia talking to each other, you know? (laughs) So like it, it, I think that was needed the, the competition, but then it got just so blown that they're like, Mm -hmm. we're going to do this. This this, is, and then, you know, it wasn't a competition anymore. It's just how can we scale how can we get the revenue in from each type of property? How can we cater to every guest or market or whatever? Um, mm-hmm. And when they scaled that big, that's, you know, tw- you look 20 years down the road. All right. They scaled to X amount of properties and brands that now it's just confusing. You know, there's new generations of travelers. There's new this and new that and new this and new that. And then in my head, it just becomes, um, it was just scaled way quick. It's interesting. Um, it's interesting when a lot of money gets involved, yeah. and um, and what I like to say is like you know too many too many old white guys are making too many decisions and brands, right? Yeah. Um, and I've been much more much more <laughs> open about saying that <laughs> as I've reflected on my career. And um, but like what I'm noticing at the moment as we're dealing with like wherever it is in the world is having the same conversation. Like we're in a, like here in Melbourne, we're in this harsh lockdown at the moment where like we're just doing takeout delivery for hospitality venues, like mm-hmm. um, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like the, the people who have the loudest voice at the moment who are talking about opening back up, even in a potentially unsafe environment are the people who have the most money on the line. Mm-hmm. 
and the ones that you know who have scaled these big brands whether they've been hotels or, or accommodation or, or other sectors of the community they just yeah. want things to go back to normal yeah. so they can trade again because they've got so much money online they don't, they don't mm-hmm. you know the, the health aspect is is put to the side a bit whether you know the smaller the smaller people like they obviously want things to open up again like yeah. they can be wrong but their their voice is a bit different you know they're thinking about their businesses a bit different are you sort of are you seeing the same in the US or do you think it's just an Australian centric thing here well I was going to ask you the same thing on or on like restaurant side of stuff like yeah. um, mm. like because I'm, I'm talking Marriott and Hilton and all this other stuff um, yes. and scalability but are you seeing like I'll answer your question but I want to know mm-hmm. like on the restaurant side because I don't know like I couldn't other than like fast food places like McDonald's or whatever, because that's what all we have in America is fast food, fat options um, yep. is, is like, yeah, those scale, but like I'm like on the restaurant, like the genuine sit down, real good food. Um, are you guys seeing anything like that? Like, is that what, what's been your perspective with food in general, like food service? As in like how it's going to get out of this mess or like what, yeah. what people are saying right now yeah get out of this mess and maybe what opportunity is a, a ahead i think um i think a lot of restaurateurs have come to the come to the decision that they know that an omni-channel business is the way forward in that dining will be a lesser part of their revenue and they need to care about delivery and take out more than they ever had before because you've got so many brands that never do take out delivery freaking hate it hate uber hate every delivery platform you know we've we've seen some uh, we've seen some high scale delivery come here with you know premium brands who are doing that and doing takeout and doing you know finish at home packs and that kind of stuff so you're seeing that happen but i'm scared that you're seeing a lot of hoteliers who are uh, sorry restaurateurs who are you know, been in the industry for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, who are just mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I can ride this out. Like, I, I, you know. Do you think we overcomplicated been... it? Yeah, most definitely. Like, when you, when you think about the amount of regulation that happens in a business like hospitality, whether that be in hotels or whether that be in restaurants or cafes, especially restaurants. So when you add a liquor license yeah. to anything, it becomes incredibly hard. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're close to being as regulated as the banking industry like it's 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 you're dealing with you're dealing with food which can 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 kill people you're dealing with liquor that can you know hurt people um you know you have to worry about when people leave your venue if you're dealing with liquor like um you've got massive insurance if people try and sue you like it's just it's just overcomplicated and you've got every you've got every government involved you've got the council involved local council you've got the state governments involved um, and you've got the federal government involved. Um, and, and then the last, you know, five years, you've got third-party whatever, whether they'd be delivery apps, whether they'd be booking yeah. platforms, whether they'd be um, other services that are supposed to save us money, actually taking money away, and you go, what the hell are we doing? We're, we're charging um, this much and we're only getting this much when originally like I, I think of the same thing, like all the OTAs or like delivery apps and all these other like commission based platforms are in, able to enhance the business, right? Yes. They enhance it. Cause yeah, you're doing more sales, but you're still 
paying off the like paying out the ass for the rest of it. You know, Absolutely. especially yeah. So it's like really your margins look like they're going up, but they're not really going up. So Correct. we're yeah. we're going off like false false numbers. And this is another topic we always talk about, like you know, profitability. I think we saw a lot of people the first three weeks, um, you know, of COVID just go out of business. It's like, didn't they just get like Series E funding f- uh, from this? <laughs> it's like, what? How yes. do they get like billions of dollars and now they're out of business three weeks later? And the CEO is not to be heard of or ever found. Yeah. Again. Like, so yeah. that that gets into like a whole other window. Like, did we overcomplicate the industry and overdeveloping yeah. that stuff? Like, because yeah, like little people can't survive off of if you're having 15%, 20% go out to Uber Eats and then you have Grubhub and then you have this and then you have your staff and your overhead costs and then the way too overpriced of rent on the building and then a cost of goods and where's the, where's the real profit? Yeah. And like you see my pause, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. you know, um, yeah. I mean, our wage cost here is, is high. Um, you know, we pay superannuation and that kind of stuff. I know with, with most of, um, most of brands, the U S still pay health insurance and stuff that's Mm -hmm. different here in Australia, but like there's, you know, there's equal, there's equal costs and, you know, um, people always like to talk about what their top line revenue is, but they don't talk about their profitability. Yeah. Um, top line means nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Like how much you taking home? Yeah. And how much you taking home after tax? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because like whenever whenever I'd be in revenue meetings, we we'd get like the star report, and we'd have all like, oh, we were number one out of our competition in RevPAR and ADR and all these other things, right? They're talking about mm-hmm. revenue, I'm like, yeah, RevPAR is good. We're number one out of the ten people that we've set our competition up, but it costs us sixty five bucks to clean a room, and our RevPAR was fifty three. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> like, yeah. how is that good? <laughs> this, this I can I can raise your revenue. I can just incrementally make your pricing more like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like it's stupid. Like how much money are we taking home? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like when I, when I first started out in business, well, um, or when I first started out working, like my boss at sort of 16 said to me, you know, we're not, we're not here to make friends short. We're here to make money, you know, yeah. hopefully, hopefully the success from making money allows us to make more friends and change the industry. But at yeah. first we have to make money. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, sure. um, yeah, man, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's and that's hard. The struggle. Like, yeah. I was gonna say, that's the struggle with hospitality though. It's like, if you go to any other business, let's say you go to a different industry, like the ironworking industry, right? Yes. They don't give a crap about what your daughter did last week for football or basketball or anything <laughs> like that. They're there to make the deal. Like they don't, yes. but like hospitality, like we're people that like, you know, get into that friendship space really quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're, you know, we've been talking about. So, and then you add money to it and it's like, anytime, you know, your friends and you like involve money, it's like, Hey man, I got you this time. And like, Oh no, no, I got to, it gets a little complicated and people get like, lost step on each other's toes. And mm. so, so now you've paid 300 bucks worth of your event, your friend's event stuff. And he hasn't paid you back or maybe whatever, or you over undercharge and yeah so what i'm trying to say is like i think it's harder for our space than it is to make money but be friends if that makes sense yeah and i've seen you know so many friendships broken from like what i call the nightclub factor right Mm. so like notoriously like um four or five guys will get together who are in like finance or accounting or 
banking or some other industry, right? Some other industry yeah. that isn't hospitality. And they'll go, you know what? We eat out. We go to brunch. We go to, you know, we go out with our girlfriends or partners and boyfriends. Yeah. And, and let's, let's, open a, well, let's open a venue. <laughs> let's open a venue because it looks easy and they'll all pull in 100 grand each, you know, so they've got a five, you know, half a million dollars spend. And then they go open a venue. Like it's just, um, and then they lose their money in 18 months. Like it just, it's, so I'm glad that hopefully that's going to stop. You know, yeah. but, um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time, man. Like, like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen to like accommodation? Like, do you, do you think like what you're doing is going to, with vacation rentals is going to like explode and, and, and do a lot better because it's just going to be more fragmented now, like post COVID. Yeah. We're already seeing that man. Like hotel markets are just, you know, there's a lot, like I can, I can say majority, you know, like the mm-hmm. bigger brands, the ones that kind of like lead the, the, they get covered a lot in the spotlight of media and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're not, they're still not open. I just talked to a guy that's going to be on the show um, later this month and, or later next month. And their hotel isn't scheduled to open up again until 2021. 2021, they're wow. still closed. And so, but like vacation rentals were popping, you know, everyone, there's just, it became, I think, you know, obviously like Airbnb and all these other like OTAs um, kind of opened up that outlet and that floodgate a little bit more. We're seeing a lot of driving, you know, uh, destinations become very popular, um, obviously with, you know, borders being closed and, and stuff like that. But um with my my concern, or not like concern, but like going into the hotel space, I'm hoping, really, really, really am, because I've never been a hotels versus vacation rentals guy, like at yeah. all. I've never been in that conversation. Yeah. Um, the only thing, and that's because I you know, I come from both worlds. I I, I yeah. understand the uniqueness of both, but mm-hmm. I'm really hoping this helps the hotel industry kind of wake up and really get creative i love like and i'll mention marriott again you know they create they created instead of you know we're gonna go to every city and every state and try to get vacation rentals banned they create the homes and villas program and get all the members there you know millions of members that use marriott bonvoy to now start looking for an alternative and to to keep their brand relevant and that's that's why i'm like so i'm like that's what we need we need a a little bit of a shake-up and Yes, that does kind of defeat the purpose of those hotels, but then, you know, Marriott still being in the game. So my thing is like maybe hotels start getting creative on how they build, how they open, how they, you know, structure an actual property. I love um, a good example of one uh, that's not like your normal one. There's this company out here in Washington state that is called Lodge, L-O-G-E. And I've been watching Mm -hmm. these guys for a while and they buy old motels and they renovate them and flip them and do all these crazy things, but they create like an outdoorsy type of culture. So they have like all these Mm. outdoor activities. The goal is not to be in the room, but when you are in the room, it's still cool. You got a bed, a hammock and all these other like crazy things going on in the room. But they also like are buying these properties that aren't all squished together. They're spaced out kind of like a, like a community of vacation rentals or a community of Mm -hmm. rooms and cottages and stuff like that. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be a new, that should be, that's going to be a new norm. And maybe um, I think we're going to see a new age of hoteliers and, and like people like my age, you know, 25 or 30, 35 going on to forties, you know, start looking at this as a really good potential way to 
I think shake things up and keep the industry relevant because separating the common spaces, but still building that community aspect. And how can we do that? You know, finding commonalities, but attracting people all over the world with many differences that we can, you know, still join that community aspect. So for me, I'm really hoping that like, yeah, you know, we get more creative on how we move forward and just like build out properties and, and not even build up, but like use the space that we have, like vacation rentals, when they're booked, they're booked. There's no, we're at 75% mm. occupancy tonight. You know, we can't say that. <laughs> the hotels, you can, you know, you have, you have that opportunity. So maybe instead of having a stack of rooms, we have a spread of rooms and, mm-hmm. and that still gives the opportunity to, to do a lot more. And I think on the operation side, as a revenue manager, a revenue manager, I see way more revenue growth when you have that type of value versus a stack mm-hmm. of rooms, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's tired of the kids running upstairs and bouncing basketballs versus, you know, if you have them spread out, uh, you don't, you'll, you'll have a lot less and there's a little bit more privacy. And you, I think it gives that vacation rental value to it. It's a really good point. I think of it that way. Yeah. I think, I think hotels are going to shift. Like I, um, I talked with um, my friend Shane who looks after, um, he looks after food food premises with inside um, airports. Okay. Yeah. Um, how would you like to be in that business right now? Right. Yeah, so he seriously. looks after about a hundred, 150 properties across uh, 150 brands um, across Australia and Asia. Right. So they're at, I think they're at 10 or 20% um, revenue, right. Mm-hmm. Than what they were in, in um, at the start of the year. Um, and he said to me that they're planning for, international travel to not come back to 2019 levels till the end of 2023. Wow. So even if that's wrong, yeah, that number's out there. Yeah. They're planning around that. Like that's scary, which means all the ancillary businesses like hotels, like, um, event, event spaces, um, Mm -hmm the restaurants that support those hotels, um, you know, the tour guides, all that stuff. The catering companies. Catering companies. Yeah. Yeah. They're in deep shit. Like they're in deep trouble. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, let's just all hope for a vaccine soon and hope that people can get back to some sort of, um, way of life. They want to live again, you know, for sure. Well, and not to drag this on, but I think another thing I, I, on the restaurant side, I want to ask on software. Yeah because it's a big yeah. topic for, for us. Um, again, comes into the, the, the topic of overcomplicating things. Like there's so many yeah. softwares out there and yes, they, they can do majority of the same features, but there's still not that one that fits one size fits all type, you know, software mm-hmm. for like mm-hmm. any hotel, whether it's 12,000 rooms or it's mm-hmm. 10 little cottages or whatever um, mm-hmm. that can be applied. And you have sure. all these, channel managers and these blah, 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 like plugins that you have to do in order to like just do a simple reservation or a check-in or whatever. I want to know like on the hotel side, do you think, or not the, not the hotel side, the restaurant side, I feel like we overcomplicated that on that software like piece. Do you guys have a similar yes. issue? hundred percent. So um, the point of sale companies here are probably a bit more fragmented in um, fragmented in Australia than they are in the U S from what I see, but um, we have largely the same problem. Like 
Um, unfortunately, you know, uh, restaurateurs buying what we call legacy systems for, you know, buying point of sale systems for 50 grand to fit out a venue when um, I could get them the same quality and same reporting methods for, you know, $200 a month max. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And some iPads like no, no, no customer in a restaurant ever has sat there and gone, fuck that point of sale. Sorry to swear. No, no. Yeah. You're good, you're good. <laughs> like your point of sale system is on point, sir. Like, yeah, I yeah. love your point of sale system. No one's sitting there and saying that. So why the hell are you paying so much money for it? And like the reports are the same, if not worse. So yes, that's yes. Unfortunately, that's still happening. It'll, it'll, it'll change. Obviously, you know, um, brands like Square and Toast are massive in, and Lightspeed are massive in the in North mm. America. Here, um, Lightspeed has taken over a brand called Counter, um, which is a fantastic acquisition. You know, Square's big. You know, these kind of brands are big. And then, I think restaurant owners, restaurant and cafe owners, will wake up to the fact that they need to think about how they do delivery, um, you know, how they build out a white label kind of delivery platform, potentially mm-hmm. using their own team or potentially using a white label team if someone builds that. Um, I know that America is further along than what we are here. Um, my good friend, um, Scott Landers from Figure Eight Consulting is doing amazing work in NYC in regards with, you know, delivery consulting. And so I know that will change. Um, I'm obviously working for a, a QR menu and payment app, uh, not app, yeah. sorry, QR menu <laughs> brand called Mr. Yum, which is killing it here in Australia. Um, over 500 venues will soon come to the US and dominate. Wow. And like they're at, they're at 4.5%. 4. Wow. Yeah. Right. Not 35%. <laughs> um, and, you know, they, they, you know, so tech is going to play a role in really, enhancing the customer experience as long as the training is right with inside the venue and brand. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited for that, but like there, over the last couple of years, there's been too many SaaS brands which have come in and tried to reinvent the wheel for hospitality that didn't need to be reinvented and added on all this BS that didn't need yeah. to be there. And their time's ticking because at the moment they can't get subscribers and um, so hopefully I could be part of that change in, in making sure that either I'm either recommending the right people of which I'm not making re- recommending many and, um, or I'm building out my own platforms for the industry, which is probably the long-term goal for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, we should get you myself and Josh Copel who, you know, learned how to code for flow. <laughs> uh, we just get us three in a room and see what yeah, we can man. make. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I'm like, man, we got to have somebody that's going to do this. I'm like, shit. I might have to be that person. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> like <laughs> we, 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 we overcomplicate it. I just, we just got to dumb it down. I love that you said like reinvent the wheels. Like we don't need to reinvent something. It just needs to be more simplified, you know? And yeah. I, I'm not, a, I'm not of- a, co- I'm not a coder. So I don't understand the back end of that. So maybe I'm just like, need to put my foot in my own mouth, but I just think, you know, it's like, why can't we just make it all plug in at once? Like, just code well, this to this. <laughs> well, now no code's a thing, right? Which I've which yeah. have blown my mind that I've learnt on. And, you know, so maybe that will change the game a bit. And, you know, but if it doesn't save me time and money, yeah. What the what the fuck is the point? Yeah. You know? So, you know, I think it you know, any tech that comes in needs to enhance the experience, whether it be in restaurants or hotels, and um and it needs to look after the to, after the vendor first. Yeah. Not the customer first all the time. 
and and with that you'll get you'll get scale of whatever platform you're trying to do so i'm i'm excited about the changes that will happen yeah and i think about like if you're one of those companies that you know is taking care of the vendor first i think like the more you take care of the vendor, the more your business is going to grow. Cause if you're having vendors that are just constantly running out of business and like Hello. going out, yeah, like there's constantly closing and then it's like, Oh, well a new one will pop up. Yeah. A new one will pop up. But guess how long that one's going to last 18 months, maybe. Yes. Like, so it's like, yes. Okay. So why don't, yeah, that's such a great dude. Bravo. I love this episode. Well, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, Will, how many, how many vendors have you talked to that say, God, I love Uber Eats. None. You know, None. fuck, they look after me. Yeah. They don't. No. Right? None. It's just like there's your comment, like, oh, you have a great, you have a great property management system or a great, <laughs> you know, I, I love that you guys are just killing it with that software back there. No guest says that. No, like nobody's, <laughs> because guess what? It's not. I love that it seamlessly sent me an email. Like, you know, like, give me a break. Like yeah. you need to, you need to make sure that, you're looking after your business. I think, I think quite often in any business, we don't think about how our product actually affects the customer. We think about it in a business perspective. We think about mm-hmm. if I'm an actual customer of a product, how am I affected by this? Like, do I like this? I don't think we think about that enough. So I think that's the, that's the light bulb moment for a lot of yeah. vendors that will think about their business in a lot different way, which is great. I think, I think we just solved the industry's problems on this whole episode, man. We just got to uh, drop mic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i awesome. love it dude i know we gotta write a ted talk for this too that's, <laughs> this is great uh dude well i just i think you know that's a pretty good note to leave things on from my end and you know obviously okay. we can i would love to do a second episode like sometime in the future Please. once some months go down you know we we see mm-hmm. what we've talked about maybe coming to flourishing or maybe we see a different pivot that happened or whatever i'm i'm excited 100%. to revisit this but um, dude, mm-hmm. so thank you so much for you know taking this opportunity Pleasure, and man. just have like you. a legit conversation. So I'm excited for all you uh, slick talkers that are listening. Uh, you can definitely check out Sean's uh, website, which I will link in the show notes, and then of course all over social media. So thank you, my friend. Thank you, man. And and likewise, all the guys that are listening to this on the Open Pantry podcast. And um, yes, of course, I'm going to link Will up. We're going to we're going to but this this needs to get out to more people. So I'm I'm excited that we're doing this on both our platforms, my friend. So thanks exactly. so much, Will. My pleasure. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Open Pantry podcast. I really really appreciate you listening and spending some time with me again. As always, if you can subscribe, if you can leave a review, I will be eternally grateful. So thank you so much. It's really, really simply to do, no matter what app you're actually using to listen to this podcast. Always, you can uh, leave me a little voice note as well. You'll see that in the show notes of this podcast. And lastly, thank you again to our new sponsor, Mercury Neuro, the leaders in coffee machine making all the way here in Melbourne. Uh, Jordan and team are doing a fantastic job. So make sure you check out all their kit at mercuryneuro.com.au. Until next time, stay safe.